Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Route, the program where we gather every day at this time. And what we do is we continue to address the issues between rural and urban America. It's Monday. That means that Hank Bugler checking in from North Spring Valley, Nevada, unless he made his way to Pendleton for the Pendleton Roundup this past week. I saw quite a bit of it right here in living color in my front room, by golly. I saw some clips that I wonder if it made television. That there were some pretty wild things that went on with bulls and whatnot this year. <laughs> that has always been the tradition, the cowboys setting out in the in the grass. And, of course, the bulls sometimes take, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> Take offense. <laughs> a fence and offense. <laughs> oh my goodness, the bulls take offense. That is awesome. <laughs> so, anyhow, yeah. Uh, that's where I was born, Pendleton, Oregon. I got it. But you didn't make it back. You just vicariously lived through TV. Well, uh, Trent. It took me 50 years to get a certain modicum of success to where, I, you know, I could actually feed my family without day working for everybody in the country. And with that, this is my bucket list. I don't play golf. It looks like a terrible, terrible waste of good sheep pasture. So I don't do that. <laughs> I love to hunt. Time out. Oh, the cows are going to graze the fairways. The sheep are going to be over in the bush, uh, off the you know grid. That's in how it's in the rough. Yes. In the rough. There you go. In the yeah. yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. You don't pretend to know anything about golf, and yet you know more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> I have well, to admit, I've, I've been on the golf course about five times in my life. Hey, I played at the national finals uh, cowboy golf tournament. I drove the golf cart. And I got to squire Miss Rodeo America around to each one of the individual groups that were playing in a best ball tournament. Mm-hmm. See, another so terminology that you uh, as a golf aficionado know that I wouldn't have best ball tournament. I, it makes perfect sense to me, but I would have never well, come up with that term. They let me putt. They let me putt. Because <laughs> every time... I got that big stick with the big club on the end of it. Yeah. Uh, it didn't seem to go where it's supposed to. And so instead of yelling four, I, I, I yelled 27 and nobody looked and <laughs> we never found the ball. So. <laughs> uh, last time I was on a golf course, I literally was told I had to leave. And, uh, everybody's like, oh, yeah, what kind of a drunken stupor were you in? No, that's not at all how it was. I was at the Fox Chase uh, Country Club doing a fundraiser for Penag Industries in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And I was on the second or third hole, and I only played because they, they wanted me to speak for the fundraiser, but then they said, hey, might as well play, Trent. You're here anyway. So okay. <clears throat> so the third hole... The golf pro comes out there and he says, Mr., I don't know why you would wear that black hat, but I guess I can't say anything about that. But those boots will not continue on my golf course. You're out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to have a 
bigger dog, but I went to a place called Salishan on the Oregon coast. I was going through the chairs of the Elks Club. By the way, I passed Grand Exalted Ruler Burns Elks Lodge, number 1680, Burns, Oregon. But anyhow, they were, they wanted to go golfing, and, and so they dragged, <coughs> drug me along. And I hit this ball. Do you know how much those balls cost in about 1973? No Holy idea. Holy mackerel, Andy. So it was too much. <laughs> I was making $300 a month in board and room. It was way too much. So I took my boots off and rolled up my pants when it went in this water deal. Well, everywhere my feet went, there were balls. I borrowed Rod and Eileen's golf clubs because mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't play. Why, I filled his bag completely full down where you put the clubs in all the little sacks on the side, all the cubby holes. Man, I I must have found 100 balls. Never did find one I shot. (laughs) So we played this nine-hole deal. It was was 18-hole deal. And we played the nine holes, and same thing, the the stud muffin come out, and he goes, uh, could I buy you a cocktail? And I said, yeah, you probably could. Come on in. You're so darn good at this. We don't want you playing the other nine holes. And that's fine with me. So I went in and, and got on a bar stool and, and uh, you know, told them that uh, Slam and Slammy Sneed wouldn't play me because uh, I beat him every time we played. And they said, well, what's your handicap? And I said, 800. And nobody thought that one. <laughs> yeah. So you were you were endangering the other golf participants? Is that what I take from that story? Well, and after I got where you get up there on the tee, yeah, uh, it looked like somebody plowed it after I got through. <laughs> I could sure move that grass now all day. I could move her along. <laughs> Never get the ball. Moldboard plowed nothing on you. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I do like to hunt, but other than that, I, I'm this is my this is my paradise. I guess until the BLM takes it away from me, they whacked me again. There was a fire on Becky Peak in the wilderness area. They want to close the whole allotment, which keeps me from going to my private land. I mean, you can't believe it. Yeah, I can believe it. So they cut, now. they cut me in half. Yeah, I mean it's just it's just uh, if it, it, you know it's it's hard not to believe that these people are uh, have a direct affront to me. I guess I'm a danger to the society or something. No, no, you're a danger to the loss of uh, their controlling <clears throat> and dominating everything. I, I got to read to you. I mean, I, I talked about this on Across the Pond. Actually, I wrote about it in my column. But there's this outfit that consider themselves a think tank. And the think tank is called Rethink X. And, Hank, they they talk about they're not shaping the future. They're just analyzing it, and they're looking for technological disruptors. And so what they're proposing is that by 2035, we basically are going to have no food animals and that food will be grown in a laboratory and we'll take all this land, land 18 times the size of Iowa, and just turn it into a carbon sink. Because, you know, 
cattle and, and sheep and pigs and chickens, they only make carbon worse, not utilize it, which is completely flawed. But okay, that's wait, what they say. I, I got a question. I got, what is a carbon sink? Do, do you... Do you take a chicken and put some sort of a face mask on them to get the carbon, and then you take that uh, filter on the face mask and go out and bury it in Ohio? No, North how, Dakota. How do you, how do you Car- stop? North Dakota. How, how do you how do you stop this? How do you stop? Hey, you're in trouble right now, Luce. You're exhaling carbon dioxide right mm. as we speak. I am. I am. Now, how are we going to capture? This is serious stuff. It is, because this this outfit is promoting that by 2030, there'll be 50% of the number of cows that there is today. 2030 is not that far away. But it, it's the closing line that they use to share what they see happening. And they see <clears throat> that climate change will be fixed within 15 years once we eliminate animal ownership. And this will be hard for people to get used to Because those who are used to things like democracy, capitalism, and national spirit will be fighting until the end. You, my friend, are are in the middle of capitalism, democracy, and national spirit. Now, everybody who owns animals is part of it. But you're the bigger problem now because you are on federal land. I'm on deeded property. So they get rid of you and then they come after us. That's why they are after you. It's not that you just wear this target or you, you just are a cog in the wheel. And I have to now take a break in the cog in the wheel. I am sure we'll have taken offense of what I just said because he's a bull like no other. We'll be back with more Hank Vogler on a Monday roll ride after this. Right out of the shoot today, we're going to talk about branded beef programs and we're going to talk specifically about and this one, Certified Piedmontese. More details about the Lone Creek Cattle Company experience that you can achieve by simply using the Piedmontese sires on your cows. Here's the deal. You use these Piedmontese bulls, which garners you a $180 premium over market price, and you give up nothing. The performance is incredible. Our Piedmontese calves have performed extremely well. The one area that I've been completely shocked, to be honest with you, is disposition on these calves is just incredible. On my limousine cows and these Piedmontese sires, these calves are calm and wonderful to work with. All of that matters. Follow the normal protocol and get a premium of 180 Steers and heifers, same price. Over market. Details at LongCreekCattleCo.com. Welcome back. Roll route. Trent Lewis alongside Hank Vogler. The cog in the wheel to eliminating democracy, capitalism, and national spirit. Before we get off the Pendleton Roundup, which we are a long time ago, <laughs> one of my relatives. I thought you wanted to leave that already. <laughs> well, I do, but what you, there, you know, it gets a little personal once in a while, and I guess being a little braggadocious, but Yakima Canute. If you win three years in a row, you get to keep the buck and horse trophy letter buck. Mm-hmm. American Indian got that. Not just the wild horse races, but but he his saddle bronc he was a he was a participant in the rodeo and he won it three times and he got to keep the trophy. So just thought I'd throw that out. 
long time ago. Yeah, I was going to say Yakima Canute was like a couple moons ago, I think. Ah, many moons. Many moons ago. (laughs) So, when it boils down to trying, that's the whole thing. I relate this to capitalism. Uh, When the people that were here, when Cristobal Colon almost got to the United States, he never did get here. Or, or the mainland of America. But uh, when the things changed, there were lots of tribes, there were lots of people, and they all had their own individual problems. But they also had people that excelled. And, and I don't care what race you're from or anything. This is what this country has always, always been. If you excel, if you try... If you work hard, it doesn't guarantee you anything other than you have a chance. In no other country on earth, it's who you know, what you know. I mean, they just buried the Queen of England 70-some years or whatever it was she was in power. Over there, always was based on sort of this good old boys club. Still is. You want to excel, you want to ex- exceed your expectations or whatever. This is the place to do it. And now we're letting in millions of people that God only knows where they're coming from, what they're doing. But I want to bring a sheep herder in. They won't let him in because he hasn't. Ha- he had four shots for COVID to go home, two here, two there, and had to quarantine. Now they won't let him back. <laughs> so they'll... It's called what in the world? Hypocrisy. Anything. Oxymoron. A lot of, a lot of stuff. Anyhow, stay I quit. Mm. Yeah, well, that's one thing we've learned. You never quit. <laughs> but, you know, and we've had, you know, and we've had a miracle out here, so we can't, we can't be blue about everything. We in the, had some great rains in August and it didn't freeze. And the grass, we've got green grass six inches high around here. It's going to its gonna make our fall, our winter, if we can keep the wild horses at bay. Uh, it's unbelievable. And we got rains in September so far. Uh, in fact, we've had so much rain. I went out. We now have a creek that comes by the house. There were salmon, salmon spawning in it the other day. And now I fear they've, there's so much water they've drowned. So, anyway. <laughs> well, they die after they spawn, Hank, and then the other fish oh, eat them. That That's how it works. Oh, oh okay. Well, I was close. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, I, it does. It can't all be bad. We had we've had probably the worst three years since I've been here for 38 uh, in a row of drought. Just absolutely terrible conditions so maybe we've turned that proverbial corner so we had a full moon a full moon the harvest moon was the weekend i was in utah and didn't come and see you just to remind you and you know all of these things are by the sign of the moon i mean when you're in a moon phase nothing changes until the moon changes so the moon changed and i gotta i gotta tell you that there are people listening that are going to be really upset at this but we have had 
over two inches of rain in the last four days. Wow. Now, what does that do, Trent? Is that going to hurt the harvest, or is that going to help the soy or the corn, or is it too late? It's too late for corn. I don't think it'll even help any soybeans, but it's good for <clears throat> for everything. There's no damage. The winter There's wheat no, guys. Yeah. For anybody that had wheat planted, it was just perfect. Um, there's no, no, no harvest going to be hampered by that two inches of rain. But Hank, you go 10 miles north of me and they didn't get two tents. So again, it's very spotty, but we had just a beautiful That's rain. What, yeah, we've had, it's kind of been in streaks, mm-hmm. but it's moved the earth. And every, every time I see the cloud situation that happens here, I always think about when I lived in Oregon, and one of the mantras, just like we got to get rid of livestock up there, they had to get rid of logging. It was ruining the country. And, and the, the experts that knew how to log on that western side of Oregon, they had to clear cut. And they had to go in there and nurture those young trees along so the brush did the, the, the non-usable trees or whatever you want to call them. Uh, they had to... Like a farm, they had to, they had to utilize it. Well, they always said the the so-called environmentalists always said that the, when it rained, and which does a lot on the Oregon coast, that that silt filled the salmon's gills with silt, and they couldn't spawn, or they could, you know, it, it was hazardous. That's why they had to stop it. Well, now they're having huge, huge fires up there. My daughter uh, was by the Rum Creek fire, and, and she had everything packed, ready to go. So uh, it was right there. But now they're burning all those trees down on those burn scars. Don't you think that old black ash running down those creeks will have some effect on that creek? I mean, what, how the hypocrisy is just far beyond the pale, and nobody seems to pay any attention until it's their ox that's being gored. And that's the deal. I mean, it's just <laughs> wake up, America. So I got a question. How did the salmon survive before fish and wildlife was formed? I mean, back before 1862, when everything was kind of on its own, salmon apparently found a way to live from one generation to the next. How did they do that without the federal government intervention? Well, from, from uh, the perspective that I grew up with. 1859 was when I believe Oregon became a state. And people left the East Coast to go to the beautiful country on the West Coast in Oregon. The the timber, the fertile soils, the rainfall, everything like that. And my cousins, the Umatillas and the Omaks, had 150,000 head of horses in the, in the Horse Heaven Hills. So there had to be a little feed there. They became concerned about all these people coming down the pike. So they set the country on fire. So they, so the people couldn't get through with their wagons because obviously they didn't have electric cars in those days. So they set the country on fire. Also, where the falls were, the salmon falls, and different places like that, uh, where the where the salmon had to go up the Columbia River, 
they had their own little army right there. They'd sell fish, they'd smoke fish, they'd trade fish, but that was that belonged to a group of people. The same thing that Glass Butte, which was obsidian, that that tribe had a small army there to protect their livelihood, i.e. obsidian. So <clears throat> you know, all of these things we cover up or <clears throat> we 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 don't want to talk about. But yeah. For a bazillion years, all the fertile fields in your country, in, mm. in my country, everywhere is that all came off the top of some mountain after a cataclysmic yep. event, whether it was a volcano or it was a fire or something that washed down the country. I have to go to a break. We'll pick it up there, but it reminds me of when I was in Thibodeau, Louisiana, on sugarcane fields, and the Louisiana farmers were really upset with the upper Mississippi cousins because they said it used to be every other year we'd get a new level of topsoil, but you guys quit allowing that silt to come down the Mississippi River, and we're not happy with you. We're back to the second half overall route after this. Trust me, I'm not wishing my life away, but I am looking forward to next week. On the 28th and the 29th of September, I'll be back in Bismarck. The Lignite Energy Council annual conference is taking place, and with the challenge that we have in front of us in terms of energy, particularly coal-fired energy, the most reliable energy source that we have. I'm not downplaying natural gas at all, but we have an infrastructure. We had an infrastructure to take coal and generate electricity. Life powered by coal is more than just a slogan. Folks, it's what has benefited our life. And every single day, the electricity comes on thanks to coal. Where do we go from here? Lignite.com. Welcome back. Roll route. Currently, it's alongside Hank Vogler. That, is, that, at the end of the day, is the moral of the story. People think that when Lewis and Clark went on the Missouri River to the Pacific Ocean... That was the most pristine time in our environment. And so they, they support fish and wildlife and all these other agencies and cubicle dwellers to try to get us back to that point. And all they're doing is pushing us farther away. We had, I don't know where yep. we're at today, Hank, but two years ago, we had the most pristine environment in the history of the world. And people don't understand that. And and the, the difference between uh, Douglas fir forest managed and one that is oh natural, mm -hmm. uh, it's burned up, and and we've accelerated that to the nth degree because there's nothing you can do about it. It's too late. It's like this country with all this moisture. The halogen is unfathomable with the wild horses feral horses uh they've destroyed thousands of acres of beautiful country things that could have been taken care of but advocate groups have taken over the the mantle of we're helping you and they're not they're helping themselves they have found a niche they have found a, a twinge in people's conscience that they can exploit and that's what it amounts to so you take a little tiny bit of truth and you blow it up. They say that Wild Horse Annie, for example, got her 
pictures and her information of the cruelty to horses, watching when they Marilyn Monroe and Clark Gable made The Misfits, hmm. that movie of guys roping those horses on the back of an old truck. And that's where she got her start. And upon her death, it was told to me that Velma Johnson said she made a terrible mistake. But uh, nobody is held so, accountable for nothing. So and that's the deal. Look at all the, the environmentalists have caused. All the timber that's burned down. All the country that could have been helped and managed and used and, and been productive. Not just for domestic livestock, but for wildlife. Even for the feral horses. But no, can't do it. Hank, I think, held accountable. I think because 1970 was a day or two ago, there may be a couple people that don't know who Wild Horse Annie is. Maybe we should walk through that. And the kids. Well, she's just a gal that started screaming. She got all the kids to write their senators and congressmen in Washington, D.C., of the cruelty that was going on with the wild horses, which actually, there was no such thing as a wild horse. People had especially in Nevada, had permits to run horses because of the distance between uh, waters. And they could run horses because a horse has the ability, I think about like a camel, to retain water to where they can go further from water. Whatever. This is where they ran them. And she started a movement, and it took off. And and uh, I, I'll never forget Beetle Bailey. Bob Bailey, who had horse permits, and his family had run horses in southeast Oregon for their entire generations. And he went to the Oregon Cattlemen's Association and said, this is what's coming. He had the bill in his hand. He said, this is what's coming. And he told them what the future was going to be, right to the nth degree. Beetle knew it, period. And they laughed at him. They laughed at him. And, and, and one gentleman who became the president of the Cattlemen's Association piped up and said, What, Beetle? I guess you want all the horses, eh? And everybody just chuckled, chuckled, chuckled. Beetle got up, went back into the bar. Wow. But he told it exactly what was coming, and it happened. And nobody has been held responsible. That's the thing. If I mess up, if mm -hmm. I don't pay my, if I don't do diligence, do due diligence, guess what? The bank will come to me and say, Vogler, bring your dolls and dishes to town. The party's over. Environmentalists destroy, or so-called pseudos, have destroyed thousands, millions of acres. They, they have made a mess of so many things, right down to the fish ladders that are full of carp and sea lions killing the salmon. But blaming it on commercial fishing. Blaming it on the native people who uh, fish along that. And they fished a few days before those environmentalists were even in this world. All, all of these things. It's, it's, it's uh, telling a lie and we have Pinocchio Joe as president, and he's a professional liar. I mean, he lost a presidential bid years and years ago because of his horrible tales 
I mean, just it goes on and on and on and on. And we're not held accountable because we want to get reelected. Nobody wants to stand up and say, this is how it is, and take the criticism. But it's what's good for America. That's why only 13% of the population in the revolution of America participated in it. If you had the crown seal, the last thing you wanted to do was lose your position in the colonies. Amazing. <laughs> Some things never That's change. A, I, no. And, and clearly, it's just, it's just, this guy is the most racist individual that's occupied that building since Andrew Johnson. Jackson. Or Andrew Johnson was racist. Wasn't it Johnson who followed so Lincoln, who, who who removed the 40 yeah, horses okay. and a mule? Or 40 acres and a mule? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Andy Jackson... Uh, after my family participated for the American cause in the revolution and were granted land in North Carolina, mm -hmm. uh, Andrew Jackson, his policies said, you folks would be way a lot better off out in Oklahoma where you don't know anybody, you don't speak the language and everything else. So take what you can take and, and head, head west. Go west, young Indian. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I need to so, become yeah. more versed okay. on the Trail of Tears. I only know about it. I don't know the Trail of Tears. I need to go study that a little better. Well, and it's, it happened more than one year. There was more than one migration. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's where they put them. Uh, the ones they could catch. Andy run the Seminoles into Florida, but they did send some of them to uh, Oklahoma. Uh, my mother's grandfather was a tribal policeman in the part that where the Seminoles are at. But, I mean, it's... But for whatever reason, and, and God love them, you and I have both been to what socialism looks like in the first degree from Indian reservations. Mm -hmm. They left the reservation. Whatever possessed them to do that. And they, and part, and they moved to... Well, uh, my mom's people were out of uh, Pendleton in a little town called Echo, Oregon. And... Uh, my father's people moved, or at least his grandmother, Grandma Gibson, they moved to a place called Chickasaw Flats. And and uh, the Chickasaws, of course, were Eastern Indians. But that's where they went. And they were very prosperous people. Worked very hard. They had prejudices, yes. But they, somehow they caught on that the way to survive, there was, you know, the uh, way to survive was, was through the capitalistic system by trying hard. And then when you run into a wall, you circumvent the wall, you crawl under it, you crawl over it, but you go on. You know. <laughs> One of the best family stories of all is Grandpa Gibson was a bootlegger. Now it was against the law to give a drink to an Indian. And so he used to bury his product in the garden under the watermelon plants <laughs> and my dad and his sister thought <laughs> thought that uh, because they had to dig such a big hole and they thought that you had to plant the whole watermelon but no that's where he he knew where his whiskey was was under those 
plants. And when he had some for sale, well, he sold liquor. Did the county sheriff come to arrest him? Yeah, every Friday. Put him in jail. Why? Because he wouldn't split with him. <laughs> he said, I might have to make liquor to feed my family, but you're not taking care of it because you didn't do nothing. So every Friday they'd throw him in jail, and my father and his sister had to go bootleg whiskey for him. So, I mean, <laughs> capitalism in its purest form, getting by when you have to. You know, actually, I think about that approach in today's world because we're we're closer to that than people recognize. And I'm not talking about bootlegging whiskey. I'm talking about bootlegging food, where if you want to sell to your neighbor, you almost have to do it off the grid. Somebody's going to come and tell you that you're outside of some regulation. You are. In this state, Trent Luce could come to my house and say, I want that sheep right there. And I can go help you butcher it. I can put it in my cooler. I can cut it up, whatever I want to do. But if you call me from Loop City, Nebraska, and say, I'm going to be out there next week, butcher me a sheep, that's against law. Yeah. Say, and, you know, I'm you may have chosen the same sheet. Yep. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm all for it. It's called capitalism. And if people want to know the name of the steer or where it was raised, what it was fed and all of that, and it opens up a market, I'm for it. The same thing that's happening with sheep. The Muslim trade in some of the large areas and Mexican trade, Hispanics, in some of the large metropolitan areas, grew up on goats, grew up on sheep, and they want them. They don't make them weigh 225 pounds to where nobody wants them. No, they want them at 80 pounds. They, they want them at 80, 90 pounds. And gotta, so that has come off of the market. I got to go roll out one segment left after this. Well, I've just done what I ask you to do on a daily basis. Go to no2u.com, and I see Dr. Nathan Bryan has got some updates there. For the first time ever, you can get double the nitric oxide per bottle. Every bottle of NO2U is a 60 weight. That's double, 60 pieces. That's double the standard bottle. Spend less, produce more nitric oxide. Discover. The NO2U difference, that's how I start every day with the NO2U difference. Go to NO2U.com. Put Trent as your coupon code. You get privileges. You get a bottle free if you get three, plus you get 10% off and no shipping. NO2U.com. Trent, coupon code. Welcome back. Roll route. Trent Luce, Hank Bogler into the last segment. And by the way, you were correct. 1859, fairly memorable day, too, Hank. What day did Oregon become a state in 1859? Uh, well, I know Nevada became on, on Halloween, which has become quite appropriate with lost wages in Crook County, Nevada. Mm-hmm. So, uh, probably uh, end of day or Columbus Day, maybe. Valentine's Day. Oh, well, see, that's never been the top priority for me. (laughs) (laughs) 
Now, anybody that had nine wives had to have Valentine's Day as a priority at some point in time. He just didn't stick to it. What? I don't ever remember Valentine's Day, for goodness sakes. <laughs> yeah, February 14th, I was born. I used to have a girlfriend that was born on Valentine's Day. She quit me, too. <laughs> All right. Well, you're not on here to garner sympathy, so we'll move on from your romance. <laughs> well, anyhow, I mean, it's just the hypocrisy has always been there, always will be. There's, there's not much you can do about it. But at the end of the day, uh, you can hopefully make your dreams come true. But it, 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 you can't wait around and have for somebody to give it to you. How many ranches have traded hands one or two generations down the line? Gone. Very seldom do they ever get to four or five generations. It's just a matter of the human experience, and everybody doesn't look at things the same. Well, right now, the biggest challenge in getting the ranch to the next generation is the tax code, because you have kids that have to sell off to pay the taxes to be able to keep the place yeah and yeah and, and great grandpa might have bought it when when it, the cost per unit cow unit was 25 to 50 dollars mm-hmm. now because outside the influences want to own them a ranch get him a great big cowboy hat and the West Texas accent, too, if they can figure it out. And what do they do? They're paying ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 a cow unit. Uncle Sam comes along and says, hey, hey, buddy, <laughs> I've been partnering with you for a long time. Now, it's time to settle up. And we're not going to talk about what great-grandpa paid for this outfit. We're talking about what it's worth yesterday. Have a nice day. We'll be in touch. So that is ultimately the challenge right now. And and we experience it day in and day out in Nebraska. And I know other states do too, but we're, we're like the worst case scenario. Our tax appraisals, our property tax assessments continue to skyrocket. They go up, they go up, they go up. And so on paper, it looks like we've accumulated something here. But I don't care what it, what it says on paper. You have to pay your taxes each year based on what that assessment is. And it gets to the point where you can't afford to pay the tax because somebody is overpaying. There's That person you just described is causing an inflation in real estate that is going to put people out of business. So I don't care how much your ranch is worth. If you can't afford to pay the taxes because your neighbor sold out to Bill Gates or Ted Turner or whoever it might be as an example, or... Or the Bureau of Land Management, like they just did in Casper, Wyoming, paid over a time and a half more, or 1.5 times more than the actual property was worth. What's that do to the neighbors? Now, they tell me Wyoming has a formula that is supposed to help prevent some of that. But it's still, at the end of the day, when your assessed value is above and beyond what it will return in taking care of the land and producing food, fiber, pharmaceuticals, and fuel... You're on a path of disaster. Give the man a cigar. He can be taught. Yep. That's it. That's it in a nutshell. It's confiscation. It's 
And, and it's people taking stuff away from you that don't have any skin in the game. Uh, right now, you've seen my old barn. Not much left of it. Got a tack room. So I thought, you know, I'm going to save some money, build a barn. So we're building a barn. We can't even pour the cement in the foundation without having some guy come out of here and say, yeah, that's okay, and send us a bill. Then when we pour the – that's the footing. Then when we pour the the uh, wall, well, he's got to come look at it again. Oh, that's fine or that's not fine. you got to do this. I mean, all these inspectors, all of these things, yeah, it's just incremental control, control, control. And if you – the guy shows up and you say, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Well, you ain't getting a barn. And then here comes the tax assessment. The value of everything that you built yesterday goes down because it's older. But yet your property taxes, your personal taxes continue to go up. And and so and everybody's living off of that in 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 these little bureaucracies and try and stand up and say, you know, maybe we ought to slow the growth rate of government down and you're guaranteed you can't get elected dog catcher because there's getting to be more of them than there are you you know hank you got to fix this county white pine county permitting process there's no reason somebody needs to come out there and tell you that your floor is okay or your walls are okay it's your building you can do it as you see fit you need to run for county commissioner and get this county back on the right track hey I, 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 there's going to be two chickens in every pot and four cars in every garage, boy. Just vote, <laughs> vote for Kick, kick Butt-Mogler. Yes, that's the one, yeah. No, I'm running for county commissioner because the county's been awful good to me, and I wouldn't mind putting a little back. And if I win in November, uh, I win. But if I'm going to have to line up with the hypocrisy and and – be the typical candidates that have been out there in all through my lifetime making all kinds of promises and never ever doing anything but lining their own pocket or or ensuring they'll get reelected uh I, i'll quit tomorrow i don't i don't want nothing to do with it i've been to that rodeo i voted for so many rhino republicans i should have a horn growing out of the center of my head are you, are you sure you don't? <laughs> well, I very well could. I'll go look in the mirror. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, that's the problem. It's supposed to be the citizens. The, the 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 government closest to the people is the one that's supposed to govern best. And we've we've lost that. We've lost all of that. It's just, it, it's just oh, there ought to be a law. Well, guess what, boys and girls? There is. And it covers everything that you do. And the people administering those laws are going to do everything in the world, not to help you, but to help themselves. Yes, sir. They're going to help themselves. Well, we've identified plenty of problems today. Let's spend the rest of our four minutes on solutions. Vote. And vote often, just like a Democrat. You know, take 50 ballots home, go to the nursing home, sign all of them up. Do I mean, do something. But saying, oh, I'm not going to vote. 
don't know, I'm not going to participate. It's just stupid. No, you didn't do your homework. You didn't pay attention. You didn't go through the thought process. That you know, if you think think of all the things that we should be preserving, it's the right of our opinion and our right to protect ourselves with a weapon. And that's what it's going to all boil down to one of these days. It is is protecting your your hearth and home. And the first thing you can do is vote, even if you don't agree with somebody's as conservative as I am. Mm-hmm. But you are, every time you don't vote, you are giving your right to vote to somebody who may not even have anything that you think of in common. You're giving your you're giving your rights as an American citizen away. It's clear to me today that the chaos about the voter integrity and everything that's coming from the federal level is just simply to plant that seed in people's mind. Your vote doesn't matter, so don't even show up. And and there's too many people that have yep. fallen prey to that, Hank. Yeah. And and then when you get up and say, well, the Supreme Court voted to that they had no business messing with abortion, and they don't. It's up to the states, even though it's abhorrent, but yet the federal position as being put out there says you can abort a baby up to the day it's going to come out mm-hmm. of the womb. I mean, even me, at one time, I was trapped in a female body, but then I was born. So, I mean, again, these decisions are individual decisions. I couldn't make that decision. But when we let other people do it, you get radicalism. You get, you know, how many people who used to work for Edward Hines Lumber Company were Democrats. The union told them how to vote. And they voted in the very people that took the lumber industry out of Eastern Oregon. How do you do that? (laughs) I mean, that is just astonishing. Trying to relive that today with the whole railroad situation. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, vote for the very things that you abhor. (laughs) Because the union boss said this is what you should do. So the union boss can go buy a Vegas hotel and live large or whatever, or, you know, get a, we got a vote. You stick with the union. Okay. How'd that work? <laughs> well, that'll do it. Amazing. We have simply amazed ourselves in today's broadcast, and we've connected the dots between food producers and food consumers. For Hank Bogram, Trent Luce, both of us reminding you that all roads do lead to a rollout. I really enjoyed that conversation with Mike Martin last week, Chief Information Officer for Protect the Harvest, continuing, hey, here's the deal. At every turn, we talk about an erosion of property rights, the right to own animals, the right to, and Hank just summarized, you got to get a permit for a pad of concrete to build a barn. Not just a permit for the walls, a permit for the ceiling, a permit for the floor, a permit for living. 
that's beyond, above and beyond what it is that we're supposed to be doing. So have a partner in getting you access to information that you can stand up for your own liberty and enjoy property rights. That's exactly what Protect the Harvest is all about. And what better time to start engaging than at Harvest Time 2022. Details at protecttheharvest.com.